Very good morning to you all. If you are new here and visiting for us for the very first time, or perhaps you've been here many, many years, you are so, so welcome. And it's great to spend this morning with you. I'm particularly excited about this morning. I'm always excited about this morning, but, uh, Sunday mornings. But this morning, we are starting a new series on the justice theme of the um, climate change and the environment. And this group of people who are going to be doing the next five weeks have been together on Zoom meetings, chatting through all what they're going to be talking to you about, really working hard on what to bring you. And I am so, so excited. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for all five of these people who are going to speak in the next Sunday mornings on this subject. We are so privileged at Southwest to have such fantastic, fantastic, the person that you're sitting to your left and to your right are just awesome people and everyone's got a story to tell and uh, we've all got a chance to speak. So this morning, Ruth Koch, our fantastic Ruth Koch is gonna start this whole subject off. So give her a really warm welcome. I can't believe you're in a short sleeve, um, lovely dress, but you know, you've already got thick, hot blood or whatever you call it. Well, let me just, (laughs) I love this woman. I love the Koch family. They are so fantastic. Can I pray for you? Can we stretch out a hand to Ruth? Lord, we give you thanks to Ruth. And uh, for Aaron and Seth, Lord, we give you thanks for this family and uh, anoint a Ruth afresh for all that she's going to uh, speak to us about this morning. Amen. Thanks, Kate. Good morning, everybody. I was going to start with some interaction, um, but obviously I was prepared that technology wouldn't work. And it's my fault, not our wonderful tech people, um, because I don't have Gmail app on my phone for some reason. So just ignore the bit at the top that says slido.com, unless you're really keen and you want to tell me your thoughts on climate change. But just want you to take a moment now. So just take a second, breathe in, breathe out, close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you a question. What comes to mind when I say the words climate change. And I just want you to hold that thought or that word in your head. In fact, if you're really keen, you can write it down because I'm going to get you to think about it again at the end. So just take that, that thought or that mind in your mind and just remember it. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the words climate change? Now, I have some lovely friends, thank you to all of you, who I text yes last week or that yesterday and on Friday night being like, can you help me? Um, and they have already filled in the Slido poll for us um, and given us the idea of what their first thoughts are when they think about climate change. So you've got lots of words on here that you can't read, <laughs> but I know that you can probably see extreme weather. So that's an outcome of climate change. The climate is changing, which is causing really extreme weather. And again, a genuine crisis. You might be able to see that. Climate change is a genuine crisis. And then there's a whole load of other words like man-made, fires, saving the planet. I love that one. Um, Environment, concern. I did see there are two people's names on there, Al Gore and Greta. 
who are probably household names that you think of when you think about um, the environmental movement or climate change. Um, there's some feelings on there like sad, panic, urgency, and then there's, you know, stuff like pollution, things that cause climate change. It's like a really, really broad subject and topic, and there's loads of things that go into it. In fact, it's quite a divisive one, um, but you would have had to, like, hide under a rock for the past 20 years to have not heard about the issue of climate change. And it's, it's quite simple, I'm not going to go into the science, but basically there are distinct changes happening to our world as it gradually heats up. We've got a diagram which represents the average temperature every year in England from 1884 to 2020. So you can see, if you can see it, there's loads of red lines on the, the side towards 2020. And a red line represents a rise in temperature. So you can see that on average, there's been a significant rise in temperature. And if we look at the next one, which represents the whole of the world, it shows you it's even more stark of the average rise in temperature. And scientists have worked out that this change in climate is due to human impact over the past few hundred years. Our human impact is wreaking havoc on the planet we live in. It's estimated that the average wildlife population have dropped by 60% in the past 40 years. And globally, the number of reported weather-related disasters, so these are things like cyclones, droughts, floods, they've more than tripled since the 1960s. And every year, these disasters cause 60,000 deaths. That's about the population of Putney gone every year. And the majority of these people that die due to these weather-related disasters are in developing countries because they don't have the infrastructure or the means to be able to protect themselves from this severe weather. And then more than a billion people are expected to be displaced due to climate in the next 30 years. So that's one in seven of us will become a climate refugee. If you look around and think about one in seven of everyone here today, you could become a climate refugee in the next 30 years. And you might think that's just people in developing countries, but I can assure you that as the sea rises, the Thames will rise too, and potentially there will be climate refugees in London. We have, over the past maybe two years, seen record temperature rises, powerful cyclones, fires in Greece, and floods in Worcester Park this summer. The climate crisis has been termed what's called a threat multiplier. If you think of a threat, Think of um, poverty, war, floods, fire. The climate crisis will multiply that threat. It's a worrying issue, and it's one that areas of God's church have not necessarily, um, they've been quite quiet on, them, on it, and sometimes been quite divided um, about our views on climate change. But really, thankfully, it's something that we here at Southwest are going to be looking at for the next five weeks. Um, and I have the honor of kicking this series off. So we're going to be looking at um, how we should respond. What does it look like to respond as Christians to the climate crisis? What can we do and how can we sustain that response in the next few weeks? But today, I want to kind of talk about the biblical basis of the issue. Because um, I, over the last 14 years, have worked in 
a few Christian international development charities, and I've spent quite a bit of that time thinking about how we communicate the issue of climate change to Christians and the church. And in that time, I think I've come up with about three main concerns that followers of Jesus have. Um, I would maybe determine them as like three concerns, issues, or three myths that I'd like to talk to you about today. And some of these might resonate with you. Um, maybe it's something that you have thought yourself, or maybe it's something that you've had conversations with people, or you've seen in the news, or general things that people think about the climate crisis and what Christians' role should be in that. So caring for the environment is just for tree huggers. Jesus said nothing about climate change. It distracts from our main focus as followers of Jesus. And then finally, does this really matter anyway if we're going to heaven and the world's going to end? So let's start with the tree huggers, because I love the tree huggers. So the idea that climate change is just for tree huggers or those who maybe worship Mother Earth, or it's not something that, you know, it's for very extreme people. It's for Extinction Rebellion. It's for Greta Thunberg. It's, it's an extreme issue that's on the sidelines. And it's not necessarily something that we focus on as Christians. And I can partly agree with this. I can see the perspective because the media in the past has portrayed climate change and the climate crisis as um, just for people who are environmentalists, who are green hippies. And my um, first interaction with this, this was when I was about 11 years old. I was at my um, family dinner table and my parents were talking about current affairs. They loved to have a big debate and chat in our house. And um, they were talking about how Swampy had just got out of the tunnel. And I remember thinking, what is a Swampy? I wonder if a Swampy's maybe like a mythical creature, like a unicorn, or even more like, you know, the troll that lives under the bridge in the Three Billy Goats Gruff. I was like, maybe that's what a Swampy is. But it turned out quite quickly that Swampy is not a troll. He is an environmental activist called Daniel Hooper. Um, and he was living in a tunnel um, to protest against the expansion of the A30 carriageway. However, that first impression of Swampy sticks with me. Um, and with the nickname Swampy, I'm not sure if you can blame me. But the, uh, the Christian climate scientist, Catherine Say Hayhoe, says this. There has been a concerted effort to frame caring about climate change and the environment as an alternate religion, one that worships the creation rather than the creator, so to speak. And as Christians, we can feel an objection to that. This focus on worship of the creation instead of the creator God. And some of this comes from that perspective that we are the pinnacle of creation. We're the top of God's creation. So let's start by looking at Genesis. If you have a Bible or your phone, I'll let you use your phone. Um, Turn with me to Genesis 1, and we're starting with verse 27. So I'll read it. It's not on the screen because it'll be tricky for you to read. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then we move on to verse 31 where it says, God saw all that he had made 
and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So on the sixth day, God said it was very good. Aren't we very good? But actually, if you reread that passage, you realize that God looked at all that he had made. On the sixth day is the last day that God had been done creating, and on the seventh day he rested. So he looked at all of his creation, the stars, the sea, the hills, the rivers, the creatures, the fish, the birds, and mankind, and said it was very good. It's not just mankind on their own that are very good, it's all of God's creation. And we have often interpreted the, the words in verse 28, rule over, as um, dominion or rule over. And we've kind of t- interpreted it as we're at the top of the food chain, like we're at the top of this pyramid. Um, a bit like in The Lion King, you know where Pumba says, kid, what's eating you, to Simba? And then Timon says, nothing. He's at the top of the t- food chain. It's like nothing could bother us because we're at the top. We can rule over. But the word rule over or dominion here in Hebrew is now. It's either radar or rawdor. Strong's tells me it's rawdor, so I'm going to stick with that. But you may hear different uh, pronunciations at other points. And it occurs 27 times in the Old Testament. And in most circumstances, it's where um, we're commanded not to rule over in a negative way. So it's not... Do not rule over ruthlessly your slaves. Um, Do not rule over um, in in a bad way. Do not oppress people. But when it's used in a positive, directive sense is in Psalm 72, which is about a ruler. And it says, in verse 8, May he rule, Rawdor, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then it goes on to say, For he will deliver the needy who cry out the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. So when the psalmist talks about ruling over a ruler that rules over, it's a ruler that does not oppress or exploit, but rather helps those in need and rescues them. This perspective that we're at the top of the food chain and that we can rule over at our will, means that we haven't really taken seriously our special role in ruling and what that means. And then it's reiterated again in Genesis 2, where it says, the Lord God put man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care for it. To work it and take care of it. And then if we go into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which I'm not going to, because there's a lot of stuff about mildew in there, but there are some amazing laws and rules there that were taught about how um, you should look after people in your household and how you should forgive debts and care for the vulnerable among you, the poor and the widows and the foreigners. And then you should also care for your land and your creatures. There are laws there in the Bible about how we do that, how on every seven years and every 50 years, you take special steps to care for all of creation. And then when we think about creation, when I'm talking about creation, you're probably thinking about the trees and the hills and the birds and the, the sea. 
because we often think we are apart from creation rather than a part of it. So in Genesis 2, again, we see God created Adam from dust. We are intrinsically linked with creation because we have the same markings of the creator. We are made in his image. But he also created us from his creation. We are not separate. We are part of creation. So when I talk about creation, I mean all of us, us, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, and also the world and everything in it. So might we stop and think, as Christians, do we not have a special role to care for creation? Let's not leave it to Swampy and his other oddly named friends, but take it upon ourselves as made in the image of creator to care and tend for his creation. So onto the second one. Jesus said nothing about climate change and caring for creation and focusing on these issues take away from what's core to our faith, being followers of Jesus. Granted, Jesus didn't talk about climate change, but he did reference the rules and laws about looking after all of creation that I mentioned in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So in Luke 4, which Tom spoke about and Neil spoke about Isaiah 61, Jesus goes to the synagogue. It's his first kind of public communication. It's often described as his manifesto for his mission. And he steps into synagogue. He reads from Isaiah 61, really well-known passage to all those people who would be sat there. And he says that, I have come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And when we talk about the year of the Lord's favor, what he's referring to is the Jubilee year, which is the year where, get this, slaves are to be set free, debts are to be forgiven, and the land was to be left to be rest for rest and restoration and to become fruitful again. So when Jesus, even in his first kind of public appearance, he refers to those laws of the land of how we should care for one another and how we should care for creation as, as a whole of creation. He also commanded us to love our neighbor. And he showed us what uh, releasing people from oppression looks like and caring for the poor. And then the first commandment that he told us is to love God whose creation he entrusted us to care for. So back in 2019, when we were allowed to travel the world, um, I had the privilege of uh, going to Mozambique. You might not remember, but early in 2019, there was a huge cyclone that hit Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi. Um, And particularly the kind of eye of the storm was over a city called Beira, which is a city that I spent six months um, of my life as a teenager Um, on a gap year in. And so it really hit me hard when I returned back to that city that year to see the devastation. As we flew over, I literally could see trees that were snapped like matchsticks. And all this sand had been washed in and completely changed the landscape. But I also met really amazing people who were trying different farming techniques to um, basically become more climate resilient to protect themselves from drought. And it was literally amazing to see their work. You kind of stepped from this sandy ground into their their allotment or their land, and it was literally dark brown earth filled with plants full, um, ready to be harvested. 
And it was just amazing to see what they had been doing to adapt to the climate. But when I asked them about the cyclone and the changes that they had experienced in the climate over the past years, they looked worried. And they told me that maybe they could continue this wonderful way of farming for maybe five more years. But when the water table gets too low, which it inevitably will do due to the protective changes, they'll be no longer able to farm this way. And their livelihood would be gone yet again. Fast forward to last week. I now work with food banks in London, and a message comes across a WhatsApp group for food bank managers, warning of a news report that said, due to climate events this year, affecting Durham wheat, field, wheat yields, the wholesale cost of Durham wheat has risen by nearly 90% this summer, and that means the price of pasta is set to rise. Food bank managers were, were encouraged to consider their stock of pasta, which could get too expensive for people to choose to donate to the food banks. And quite likely will get too expensive for those people who are trying to avoid having to come to a food bank in the first place. See, the climate isn't just impacting people far away. And it isn't going to impact people just in the future. It's hitting people now. From people living in poverty in Mozambique to people living in poverty in Morden. So, no, Jesus didn't preach on climate change, but climate change is affecting those he did teach us to care for and to love, our neighbours. And then finally, the concern that we're going to go to heaven and the world's going to end anyway, so why bother? So we're going to get into eschatological territory, which I am, you know, I'm not an expert on, so I'm not going to go too deep. But at Vineyard, we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And we believe that through the resurrection, Jesus has started the work of reconciling all things to him. And in Colossians 1.20, it says that Jesus will reconcile all things on heaven and earth. See, when we see the state of the world and we look at the news, even just thinking about the news this week, I mean, we can often hope that maybe when we die, we'll just go to heaven. We can leave this earth and it'll all go away. But that's not what it tells us in Revelation. The last scenes of the Bible, Revelation 21, is not saved souls going upstairs to heaven. It's a new Jerusalem coming down to heaven, have heaven on earth. And that's a mirror of the resurrection of Christ. His body was broken and it was resurrected and restored. So as will God's whole creation be resurrected and restored, there will be a renewing of this earth. And we pray the Lord's Prayer. We ask God's kingdom to come on earth, knowing that God promises to restore this earth. And it's a reminder for us to do our part every day on earth here. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's clear that we have a special role in God's creation. And we're commanded to love God and to love our neighbor. Yet we face a future where all of creation, ourselves included, will be subject to further suffering and pain due to our mismanagement of this world. 
N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, says this, God builds God's kingdom. But God ordered his world in such a way that his own work within that world takes place, not least through the human beings who reflect his image. He has enlisted us to act as his stewards in the project of creation. Through the work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, he equips humans to help. Through the work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, he equips humans to help. We're at a tipping point. At this point, we face a choice. We can either continue um, the way we are, and we will see some more pain, and we'll experience the not yet of the kingdom in creation as our world continues to heat up. Or we can begin to consider what our role is as Christians and what we can do to take action. And we're going to hear a lot more about that in the next few weeks about what we can do and what steps we can take and what that looks like um, as a body of believers. Some of the three concerns that I mentioned or issues may have resonated with you. You know, they might feel familiar or they might have been things you've questioned in the past. You might still have lots of questions. Um, Or they may be something that you've heard or other people have spoken about. And as a response to that, you may feel a number of things. You might feel apathetic. You might feel overwhelmed. There's just so much stuff related to this. And I'm sure some of you may feel fear or scared. So I'm going to come to an end now. And I just want you to take a moment just to remember what that word was right at the beginning when you thought about climate. And um, for those of you who know the Enneagram, and I'm an Enneagram type three, which means I don't really know what I feel most of the time. Um, And so I'm like a real believer of naming what you feel. So I just want you to take a moment now to think about what do you feel about climate change? What do you feel after listening to all that and thinking about all those issues? I'm gonna, we're going to allow the Spirit to minister to you in your heart as you think about that. So come, Holy Spirit. As we consider our feelings and our response, Lord, will you speak to us? Will you guide us? Will you remind us that we worship you, the creator God. And Lord, I pray that you will give us hope instead of apathy. That you will give us clarity instead of overwhelm. And that you will give us passion instead of fear. Amen.